Well, hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Gretchen Winter. On behalf of CHEST, I would like to welcome you to this CHEST Journal podcast. I am Dr. Gretchen Winter, and I am your CHEST podcast moderator. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a great overview of the guidelines regarding hypersensitivity pneumonitis. We are very fortunate today to have Dr. Evans Fernandez as our guest. Dr. Fernandez and his colleagues wrote the recent CHEST Guideline and Expert Panel Report on the Diagnosis and Evaluation of Hypersensitivity Pneumonitis. Dr. Fernandez is an Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Pulmonary, Critical Care, and Sleep Medicine at the National Jewish Health in Denver, Colorado. He is a clinical research scientist with a focus in clinical outcomes and translational research in ILD, particularly hypersensitivity pneumonitis. Thank you for having me. So I'd like to start, Dr. Fernandez, by asking what led to the development of these guidelines? Why were these questions asked at this time? Sure. Let me give you some background regarding the gaps in the diagnosis and the rationale for the development of these guidelines. Uh, It's important to first mention that HP is an immune-mediated lung disease from inhalation exposure to a large variety of antigens occurring in genetically susceptible uh, patients. In a subgroup, mortality occurs primarily because of respiratory failure as a result of self-sustained lung injury and progressive lung fibrosis. And over the last three decades, we have shown that in the U.S., the age adjusted mortality has, in fact, increased at an alarming rate. Um, It is unclear if this increase in mortality rate um, is because of increased disease recognition or mortality from the disease or increase in true incidence. But like in other countries, dozens of cases are walking with a disease and hundreds and hundreds of new cases are diagnosed each year uh, with hypersensitivity pneumonitis. HP, in fact, is one of the most prevalent ILDs, seeing any ILD specialty clinic around the globe. And in some settings, depending on the geography and location of the practice, maybe the most frequent ILD, and it's one of the most common uh, competing uh, uh, alternative to an ITF diagnosis. In fact, a phase three trial, the InBuild study that was recently uh, published, investigated the efficacy and safety of entire patients with progressive fibrosing ILD other than ITF, and fibrotic HP was the most common clinical ILD diagnosis affecting a third of the entire cohort. Now, for many years, the use of a time-based classification to stratify the disease as acute, pseudo-acute and chronic, which is, I think is another issue, has unfortunately contributed to two major problems. First, the classification, this classification, I think, has led to biased estimates of diagnostic test performance from a multitude of studies in the literature because it encouraged the lumping of patients into three categories that ignore vital phenotyping uh, prognostic characteristics, such as determining the presence of an inciting antigen exposure, which is essential for patient counseling and disease uh, management. Secondly, 
this classification in combination with several diagnostic criteria and algorithms published and proposed over the years, I think have prompted diagnosing HP patients like checkboxes in a list by restricting the disease into absence or presence or probable based on a collection of positive or negative findings, disregarding the importance of a stepwise probabilistic reasoning, a patient-centered approach, and debating and critically reconciling all the ancillary data as opposed to just integrating isolated pieces of information to make a diagnosis. I think this checkbox in the least approach also in return, I believe, has encouraged some sort of shotgun testing or over-testing that is not unique to HP, but also seen during the diagnostic workup of other ILDs. To make things more complex, as, as you may know, uh, HP has different type of presentations, and the presentation can overlap with other ILDs, and the exposure uh, sometimes cannot be captured, and this all can lead to misdiagnosis. There is no question that the recognition of HP and other non-IPF ILDs has improved. However, as suggested by cross-sectional studies and ILD registry survey data, frequent misdiagnosis, over-testing, especially in HP, and exposure to costly and invasive diagnostic procedures continues to be a problem. As good as we are, I think we are not as good as we need to be in the timely and accurate diagnosis of HP. And reappraisal on how the diagnosis is made and should be, had to be done. Therefore, the impetus for these guidelines for the diagnosis of HP uh, and the very first initiative started by a major society is to tackle many of these problems. So you all conducted a systematic review of the literature based on 14 PICO questions, and that resulted in 12 recommendations and two consensus-based statements. Can you tell us about the quality of the evidence behind those recommendations and how that was determined? This guy followed a very rigorous process. The quality of the evidence was assessed using the gray approach in which the quality of evidence is qualified based on the strength of the recommendation. Great recommendations, as you know, and great consensus-based statements were drafted and voted on using a modified Delphi technique to achieve consensus. The panel then proposed and refined 14 research questions that resulted in 14 key action statements, as you mentioned. This was a very difficult task. Um, developing guidelines on diagnosis is very challenging since the vast majority of evidence is based on non-diagnostic study designs, which is one of the reasons for indirect and weak evidence for the corresponding PICO questions in these guidelines. Each recommendation is followed by a remark to provide further clarity, and after dissecting the evidence review, the rationale of the recommendations according to the corresponding evidence is debated under a panel discussion considering the overall pros and cons and the harms and benefits of further diagnostic testing as well as the cause uh, uh, and patient-related factors. There are three key, key principles that permeate from this guy and are emphasized throughout this document, including a stepwise patient-centered diagnostic approach and ideally based on a multidisciplinary team evaluation stressing the importance of a probabilistic reasoning and rational uh, decisions in the diagnosis. At a center stage of this guideline, you will see a diagnostic algorithm 
that was put together using supporting data from the recommendations when possible, along with expert consensus to help physicians gauge the probability of HP. Although somewhat paradoxical for a guideline trying to improve diagnosis, this committee recognized, which is rather explicit throughout the document, that the objective is not to attain always diagnostic certainty when confronted with every and all suspected HP cases, but rather to reduce the level of diagnostic uncertainty enough to make optimal therapeutic decisions. These guidelines, I have to emphasize, are not intended to impose any uh, standard of care. The primary goal here is to empower our colleagues, our clinicians, to apply the recommendations in the context of the values and preferences of individual patients and tailor the decisions to the clinical context at hand. Now, the first consensus-based statement is that clinicians should gather a thorough clinical history of exposures in patients with suspected hypersensitivity pneumonitis. Can you please elaborate on that? This was an ungraded consensus-based statement, and we felt compelled to offer clinical guidance and extra opinion for which there is little evidence giving its importance. Among the three studies that were included in a prospective multicenter study that developed a clinical prediction rule for HP that was published in the Blue Journal a few years ago, uh, from a derivation cohort of 400 patients, exposure to unidentified antigen was the strongest of six significant predictors identified by regression analysis. If all the predictors were present, the probability of HP was close to 100%. Without the evidence of an exposure, the probability of HP then decreased to about 60%, emphasizing the crucial role of a detailed history for antigen exposure in patients with ILD and suspected HP. An accurate and timely HP diagnosis, we believe, relies on gathering and integrating a very detailed and comprehensive exposure history before any invasive testing is considered. And as I alluded before, however, it's non common that after review of the histology as shown by several studies and frequently the CT, the clinician then revisits the history and in many cases a source and an antigen is identified. Since the antigen identification provides the best pretest estimate of the HP likelihood and will definitely influence the predictive value of any subsequent test and the diagnostic accuracy for uh, went through the multidisciplinary assessment of the patient, we stress in this recommendation that all patients should complete a comprehensive questionnaire tailored to the geographic region. For example, the ILD registry, there was an ILD registry from India that was also published in the Blue Journal, uh, where HP accounted for the vast majority of cases at 47%. And the relatively high proportion of ILD patients with HP in this registry was thought to be in part related to the case report form that they utilized, a questionnaire designed to specifically uh, uh, unmask exposures uh, that were felt to, were, to, to be under, uh, otherwise occult environmental factors in that region. And interestingly, among patients with HP, nearly 50% report exposures to air coolers, suggesting that more growth in cooler pads used in many homes in India might be an inciting antigens on HP cases. And only the trial exposure history is performed, the antigen may go unrecognized, which is another problem. It may result 
on ongoing exposure, possibly uh, leading to progression of disease, and uh, which can affect survival. Therefore, it is important uh, that exposure history is also uh, uh, is taken with a lot of uh, carefully. And if if you look at the at the, at the following recommendation, the third recommendation, I believe, here we suggest that classifying patients based on the likelihood of an occupational or environmental inciting antigen exposure, since the evidence suggests that the antigen status has implications for management and prognosis. We also suggest that as opposed to dichotomizing the exposure into yes or no, we, uh, that the uh, exposure uh, should be um, characterized based on the level of certainty as identified, indeterminate, or unidentified. An antigen, um, we suggest, is indeterminate if evidence is suggestive but not sufficiently conclusive of an association. For example, a likely antigen source may be identified, but a temporal relationship with symptoms is not clear. However, unfortunately, in a sizable group of patients, the antigen remain unrecognized for several reasons. An antigen should only be considered unidentified after a trial clinical assessment that include the history and, again, as I mentioned, an exposure questionnaire. And can you explain the consensus-based statement and recommendations you made regarding occupational exposures? Sure. Of the dozen of studies that uh, we evaluated for inclusion, this systematic review identified only one uh, study that evaluated the effectiveness of interventions to address an HIV outbreak in a metal working facility. As shown in this study, and based uh, on the extra opinion from the panel, the guideline uh, felt that the inclusion of an occupational medicine specialist and, when possible, an environmental hygienist during the multidisciplinary diagnostic workup of a suspected occupational HP case is beneficial because they can offer expertise and assist in the removal of the worker from further exposure. Um, they can suggest changes to improve the work conditions and remove contaminants and educate the workers on the use of safe uh, workplace practices, bring clinical expertise on the option of work restrictions, assist the patient also uh, with a worker uh, compensation claim if, if required, and monitor the patient in future work locations to ensure safe placement. Also, the diagnosis of a sentinel HPKs is a particular occupational environmental uh, issue. And, uh, in fact, it's fundamental that every time uh, a worker is identified as having HP, that we need to ask the question of other people in the work area of being exposed. In patients with non-occupational HP, on a case-by-case -case basis, however, consultation with an occupational expert and a certified environmental hygienist might be helpful in identifying the antigen source if there is suspicion for mold, also in determining if the site environmental assessment is at all required, or in patients with disease progression and suspicion for an ongoing exposure or when there are multiple antigen sources that are suspected in contributing with the disease. 
You also recommend classifying newly diagnosed hypersensitivity pneumonitis as either fibrotic or non-fibrotic. How does that classification inform treatment or prognosis? We identify uh, six studies of the many ones that we review that estimated survival over time and mortality rate between HP patients with and without lung fibrosis on CT. During an initial evaluation, CHET-CT, as you know, can provide early diagnostic clues as well as a global assessment of the extent of disease, especially the extent of fibrotic features, which is often helpful during follow-ups. And the extent of fibrotic changes, that is, particular abnormalities or ground glass changes with fracture bronchiectasis and lower volume loss and honeycombing in HP, while not helpful in diagnosis, have a significant prognostic value. CT fibrotic features such as extent of reticulation and presence or absence of fracture bronchiectasis and or honeycombing on CT have consistently shown to be prognostic imaging biomarkers across studies around the globe. Indeed, uh, compared to non-fibrotic HP, fibrotic HP is a leading cause of morbidity and death from HP. Furthermore, in patients with a progressive fibrotic disease behavior in whom immunosuppressive treatment often shows limited or no efficacy, a decision about the need of using an antifibrotic agent has to be made. Therefore, after assessing the image quality and the presence uh, the distribution and the extent of CT uh, uh, features, we suggest classifying uh, the chest imaging pattern into non-fibrotic or fibrotic. And can you discuss your recommendation regarding response to the avoidance of inciting antigens and response to medical therapy and the diagnostic process? In HP, like any other disease, a flexible approach to diagnosis requires the integration of several factors, including understanding the extent and uh, the severity of the disease according to the baseline and longitudinal change of clinical, physiological, and neurological factors. And in patients with suspected HP, if an antigen exposure is identified and then completely avoided, we suggest using clinical improvement with antigen avoidance to support the diagnosis of HP, but not relying only on the lack of clinical improvement with antigen avoidance to rule out the diagnosis of HP. We identify several studies uh, that assess the clinical response of, uh, to antigen avoidance in, in patients, however, already diagnosed with HP that provided indirect evidence of the diagnostical utility of antigen avoidance based on the assessment of disease behavior. In HP, clinical improvement after antigen removal may support a causal association and help determine whether a specific antigen is causative. Um, and in fact, as documented by several reports, antigen avoidance can lead to disease resolution and normalization of lung function in some very early cases. Moreover, early on, the benefit of supporting the diagnosis and treating non-fibrotic HP cases with antigen avoidance can greatly exceed the potential harm we can do to patients when we uh, add immunosuppressive therapy. In a retrospective study from Japan from one of the co-authors of these guidelines, uh, clinical improvement after antigen avoidance in 265 patients with different ILVs for two weeks had a, a specificity of 81% among patients with chronic HP in supporting the diagnosis. IPF, which 
we need to remember, again, it's a common ILD in the differential of patients with fibrotic HP. The cause of this is, is invariably always progressive. And in other non-IPF ILDs, competing causes such as idiopathic NSIP, the clinical course may be independent to the manipulation of the antigen exposure. And as suggested by this in-depth literature review and emerging studies after the publication of these guidelines, even among patients with fibrotic HP, antigen identification and avoidance may impact the clinical course and may implicitly be diagnostically relevant in some patients with a provisional, with a provisional diagnosis during the, uh, their uh, follow-up. However, uh, the clinical improvement with antigen avoidance may not occur if the remediated antigen is, of course, uh, not causative, if there are multiple exposures causing the disease, and if complete avoidance cannot be achieved, um, um, especially in patients with progressive disease. Therefore, clinical improvement with antigen avoidance may support the diagnosis of HP, but the absence of clinical improvement does not rule it out. Now, the provision of treatment can also inform and refine the working diagnosis of HP. However, as suggested by the indirect evidence from this systematic review, similar to the potential, potential impact of antigen avoidance, failure to respond to medical therapy alone does not necessarily exclude the diagnosis of HP. And um, as because the response rate, the response rate in this setting uh, from medical therapy can be highly variable. Because of this, and given the low quality of the evidence, the guideline panel elected to suggest not making a clinical diagnosis of HP based on clinical improvement with medical therapy alone. Great. Now, you also recommended that clinicians not rely solely on serum antigen-specific immunoglobulin testing to confirm or rule out the diagnosis of hypersensitivity pneumonitis and against the use of antigen-specific inhalational challenge testing and against the use of antigen-specific lymphocyte proliferation testing in the diagnostic process. Why is that? Yeah, we suggest no relying only on Anything specific IgG or uh, IgA testing to confirm or rule out the diagnosis of HP for the following reasons. Uh, let me let me explain. Serum specific antibiotic tests are neither sensitive nor specific to the diagnosis of HP, but may identify an immunological response by measuring the patient IgG reaction to a specific antigen. The literature suggests that the diagnostic performance characteristic of uh, quantitative IgG measurement uh, by ELISA may be greater than qualitative IgG measurement using double diffusion, the so-called uh, Osterloni test, uh, leading to serum precipitants, since it takes away the human factor of visually determining if the test is positive. Also, results may be most informative if antigens are prepared uh, from a direct sample of the patient environment, although this requires highly specific expertise and the cause and effort require our limitations. Since the performing characteristics and the interpretation of the serum antigen-specific antibody tests are often site-specific and influenced by the prevalence and the geography of the population that is being tested, the clinician ordering the serum antigen-specific antibody test should understand the validity and reliability of the test 
and the diagnostic performance characteristics at the laboratory where the test is being performed. In addition of the lack of a standardized antigen preparation, which is a significant problem for most antigens, the lack of a, uh, standardized immunoassay techniques, also the variable the variables diagnostic cutoff thresholds for uh, the quantitative IgG assays, and most importantly, the cross-reactivity among, uh, among uh, fungal species and among avian antigens is, 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 is a problem. When we reviewed the literature, um, um, there were a multitude of limitations uh, that uh, led us to uh, provide these recommendations. Um, it's also important to remember that the antigens included in the standard HP panel might not be applicable to the individual patient, envir uh, patient environment, representing uh, a risk for false results. And on the other hand, a positive result confirms that the patient has been exposed to the antigen, but does not necessarily equate to causation of disease. Therefore, we concluded that there is insufficient evidence to support the routine use of serum antigen-specific antibody testing results to reliably confirm or rule out the diagnosis of HP in the absence of an identifiable antigen or consistently identify the particular type of antigen involved in the disease process. We also suggest not performing antigen-specific inhalation challenge tests by a laboratory uh, uh, challenge to support the diagnosis of HP. This suggestion is reflective to the lack of conclusive evidence reliably demonstrating that the inhalation challenge, challenge test uh, uh, findings can confirm a diagnosis of HP and although there is no doubt that the truth, a true positive inhalation challenge test result in a patient with ILD might increase the probability of HP diagnosis, the evidence was a very low quality and the diagnostic incorporation bias, which, which was also a significant problem in several of the studies that we examined, lowered the certainty of the evidence that was reviewed. In addition to a lack of standardized techniques, protocols, and test interpretation, and the lack of validated data on test accuracy in patients with a provisional MDV consensus diagnosis, the cost and the safe requir safety requirements and the adverse reactions that can occur following inhalation uh, challenge test testing are some of the many concerns with this type of test. And specifically, and I think this is key uh, to uh, stress, evidence is lacking on the utility of this type of test to provide diagnostic refinement of a walking diagnosis above and beyond a, compre a comprehensive exposure history and questionnaire and preventing the need for a lung biopsy when the clinical context is indeterminate for HP or the CT pattern is not indicative of typical HP in patients with an unknown exposure in the context of MDV. It's also important to emphasize that it is unclear what is the additive discriminative value of this, that this test can, uh, can provide uh, beyond a positive exposure history, and the test should not be used to support the diagnosis in patients with a compelling exposure history. Also, in the absence, on the other hand, of a identifiable exposure, as may occur in patients with advanced disease, picking and choosing a potential antigen will invariably be associated with substantial decrease in test accuracy or with increase in the false positive and false negative rate. Lastly, 
among the stories that, uh, that made inclusion for this systematic guide, in vitro lymphocyte proliferation test was only described in avian HP. And the lymphocyte proliferation test share many of the limitations affecting the antigen-specific inhalation challenge test, as I mentioned. High-quality evidence is lacking on the value of this test in determining whether the antigen is a marker of exposure or an, an indication that the antigen is involved in the disease process. And most importantly, similar to the inhalation challenge test, it remains unclear if the lymphocyte proliferation test adds beyond positive exposure history because the causative antigen must be suspected in the first place in order to select the exposure reagent or antigen. And can you please discuss your recommendation for the use of high-resolution CT findings in the diagnosis of hypersensitivity pneumonitis? Characteristic CT features of HP include centilolar nodules, ground glass opacities, mosaic attenuation, and multilobular trapping. This is universally well-known. And we, in this guideline, uh, uh, look at how uh, these features could help us in the diagnosis of HP and distinguish HP from other ILDs. We compile these findings according to the literature into categories that reflect the level of confidence that a CT pattern is likely to represent HP in the appropriate clinical context. And we suggest classifying non-fibrotic abnormalities as typical or compatible and fibrotic abnormalities as typical, compatible, or indeterminate. And in the terminal category in this case is used when pulmonary fibrosis of any pattern is present without specific features of HP. The radiological confidence level may then be integrated with the patient exposure likelihood and clinical information with subsequent review by MDV. In a non-smoker, the presence of diffuse, profuse, poorly defined ground glass into lower nodules is highly suggestive of the diagnosis of HP. And in several studies, the presence of profuse centiloral nodules is not only characteristic of the early form of HP, but is, has also shown in a multinational study that included about 70 patients, the presence of centiloral nodules were among the CT features that best differentiate fibrotic HP from IPF and NSIP. These are among the reasons of why profuse, poorly defined centiloral nodules of ground glass opacities affecting all lung zones is considered an important finding in defining a typical agnostic CT category. Another important finding in HP is the presence of mosaic attenuation, which is a sharply defined geographic patchworks of regions of different attenuation on full inspiratory images. And in HP, the combination of uh, of chart demarcation of areas of lobules of decreased attenuation reflecting air trapping, normal lawn, and areas of increased ground glass loss of lawn opacification on CT form the three density sign, previously known as the Hedges sign. And this pattern of mosaic attenuation is significant um, since its presence in the absence of an alternative diagnosis is also highly specific for HP and is also included as a major finding, uh, defining a typical diagnostic CT category. And this was based on a study from the UK published back in 2000, uh, um, 2019 that showed that the three-density sign when pressing three or more lobes 
was found to have a specificity of about 93% for a high confidence diagnosis of fibrotic HP. A second category of most attenuation I have to mention here uh, that is common uh, in HP is lower decrease attenuation combined with normal one and associated with lower air trapping on expiratory images. However, this pattern is probably less specific for HP than the three-density uh, three sign. In patients with pulmonary fibrosis, the greater the extent of inspiratory mosaic and air trapping, the higher the likelihood that fibrotic HP, as opposed to IPF, um, uh, uh, will be the case. And a recent study also showed that when CT mosaic attenuation or air trapping was more extensive than reticulation and the disease had a diffuse and axial distribution, the specificity and sensitivity for diagnosing fibrotic HP was about 90% and 55% respectively. Ground glass opacification, as, as you may know, is a hazy increase in lone attenuation that does not obscure the line of vessels and airway walls. And ground glass opacity in HP is typically widespread but ranges from patchy to diffuse and is commonly found in combination with other features. As shown in one study, when the extent of ground glass opacities is over 70% and there is air trapping and absence of, left, uh, of, uh, uh, of lower loaf predominance in a patient exposed to birds and lack of clinical features of a connective tissue disease or smoking, the positive predictive value is quite high at 84%. And the negative predictive value is also quite high at close to 100%. Therefore, the presence of patchy or diffuse ground glass opacities by itself on CT in a suspected case presented with pulmonary fibrosis is considered a compatible uh, uh, finding uh, for HP. And lastly, um, mid-lung predominant distribution of fibrosis can suggest HP because, uh, however, the issue is that it is seldom found in other fibrotic lung diseases. And even though an upper low predominant is much more common for fibrotic HP than IPF, these findings, we don't see them quite commonly, and it's quite variable, and this is why the distribution was not included in the, uh, uh, when, we were, when, when we defined the different CP categories of hypersensitivity pneumonitis in this guideline. You also recommended the use of a multidisciplinary discussion for diagnostic decision-making in hypersensitivity pneumonitis. What led to that recommendation? It's important, I think, to remember that for decades, the prevailing model of diagnosis has been an individual practitioner or clinician assessing the patient and arriving at a diagnosis or strategy on his or her own. One frequent exception, however, is in the hospital, where team rounds, case conference, and two more boards are routinely used. A referral center where ILD cases are seen, collaborative team-based diagnosis is thought to be superior than individual diagnosis. In the world of ILD, this observation was brought to light by a similar paper published back in 2004, demonstrating the importance of a dynamic clinical Neurographic and pathologic approach to the diagnosis of patients with suspected idiopathic interstitial pneumonia. Based on the literature search and the evidence review, several important points I think uh, need to be made. First, the evidence suggests that MDD 
provide uh, provided a new or altered their existing HP diagnosis in a significant proportion of patients. Also, there is improvement in the inter-observer agreement between pulmonologists and radiologists in the diagnosis of HP when the data is re-evaluated at regular intervals in the context of MPD. However, the included studies designed do not provide conclusive supportive evidence that uh, uh, that, uh, that an HP MBD diagnosis accuracy uh, because it did not look specifically at the outcome uh, of these patients pre MBD and post MBD. Another important observation is that the adverse um, impact of the lack of the standardized, widely used HP diagnostic criteria was noted by a case control study that assessed the MBD agreement in 70 cases of uh, suspected ILD uh, evaluated uh, by multidisciplinary teams at seven international uh, institutions. And this study was published a few years back in The Lancet. And the study showed that the inter-multidisciplinary team agreement on a confident diagnosis of HP was much less than tossing a coin, again suggesting the importance of these type of guidelines in trying to bring some consistency in the diagnostic approach and uh, helping the flow of the MDD. In summary, based on this data and given the few proven strategies to address HP misdiagnosis, especially among those with an unidentified antigen exposure, the guideline panel concluded that the MDD should be used for diagnostic decision-making in HP, especially among those with a provisional working diagnosis. What is your recommendation regarding the role of bronchoalveolar lavage fluid analysis for the diagnosis of hypersensitivity pneumonitis? BL, as you know, is a widely used is widely used in patients with a variety of lung diseases, including ILD. And the main advantage is that it is a minimally invasive method and sensitive tool to confirm the presence of alveolitis in patients with hypersensitivity pneumonitis. It can help narrow the differential diagnosis by excluding competing causes such as an infection. Because of significant methodological concerns of more than 566 studies that we review, only three studies were able to, uh, to make uh, the, the final roster. Um, and due to high risk of bias and variability in BL infocyte percentage uh, within, within and across studies, uh, we were not able to put together a meta-analysis. However, there's three major observations I, I can tell you based on the literature review. First, I think the clinical setting at hand is critical, since the VL fluid lymphocytosis can be seen in asymptomatic individuals with exposure to antigens associated with HP. And this was shown back in the 1980s by Avon Colmier. And there is no role for such procedure in the case of those with irrelevant imaging findings. Otherwise, we run the risk of unnecessary uh, over-testing. Also, in patients with high pretest probability of HP, the VAL cellular differential generally does not significantly alter the post-test probability and, as a result, adds little to um, little additional information. And in the appropriate clinical context, a history of clinical relevant exposure to a compelling antigen with a typical uh, CT pattern allows for a confident diagnosis of HP, and this is actually uh, is, is, was, uh, is outlined 
on the algorithm that was uh, put together in these guidelines. And this is based on a single-sensor study in France from Guillaume Rival and colleagues who evaluated the accuracy of CT in distinguishing HP with an antithelial exposure from other ILDs. Now, along these lines, in the absence of a confident CT-HP pattern, BL fluid lymphocytosis may increase diagnostic confidence when the antigen is identified and CT findings are compatible with HP. It may also increase diagnostic confidence and should be considered when the exposure history and imaging data are discordant. The evolution of the alveolitis in HP changes uh, with the burden of lung fibrosis, and lymphocytic alveolitis is now consistently present in patients with fibrotic HP, and BL4 lymphocytosis is not sufficiently sensitive or specific to rule in or rule out the diagnosis of fibrotic HP. However, lymphocyte count provides an important addition to the clinical practice by potentially adjusting the MDD consensus estimate of the probability of the presence of HP enough to alter management or the decision to proceed with ADS or carobiopsy. And for example, in a single center study from uh, Costa Bell in Germany, patients with UIP-like CT findings, the cellular analysis of the BL fluid helped exclude common alternative diagnosis such as IPF, especially when exposure is known and when the lymphocyte differential count was at least 30% or more. Also, a study from Geek from Greece evaluated the clinical utility of uh, BL among 95 patients with undiagnosed fibrotic ILD and an indeterminate UIP pattern on CT. The mean BAL lymphocyte percentage was higher in patients ultimately diagnosed with fibrotic HP compared to IPF. And revelation of patients driven by BL fluid results led to a change in diagnosis in 15% of patients. In summary, this recommendation stresses the importance of establishing the HP diagnosis in a stepwise approach, proceeding with BL in this case, which is the less risky, less invasive, easier to perform, and less expensive test in contrast to, to a VATS or curl biopsy. And clinicians should consider uh, the, uh, a specific BL lymphocyte threshold within the context of their own patient population and the clinical and neurological assessment and the VL protocol that was used uh, in that patient. You recommended considering histological lung biopsy for additional diagnostic evaluation when all of the available data did not yield a confident diagnosis, and then also the integration of the biopsy findings with clinical and radiological findings in that diagnostic process of hypersensitivity pneumonitis. Can you tell us more about that? Biopsy information, I think we can agree, is deemed helpful if it can change the diagnosis from a low to high confidence or definite or provide an unanticipated diagnosis. And all the studies discussed evaluated the diagnostic yield of transbronchial biopsies, uh, curl biopsies, and VATs, as discussed in, in the document. The goal of obtaining histological lung biopsy sampling the diagnostic process is to reduce diagnostic uncertainty enough in order to make optimal decisions for subsequent care. Therefore, considering the disease severity, behavior, and patient-led factors such as comorbidities and views and preferences, 
refining the working diagnosis by histological lung biopsy sampling is unnecessary if the de- if a definite HP diagnosis is unlikely unlikely to change the management. Another important observation is that the size and the type of the biopsy can influence the histologic evaluation of HP. A cervical lung biopsy, of course, has a higher diagnostic yield and more limited sampling techniques, such as a transferical biopsy or carotid biopsy, uh, especially when multiple lobes are sampled. Carotid biopsy, however, has emerged as a potential alternative to cervical lung biopsy and transferical biopsies due to the decreased risk of complications relative to uh, cervical lung biopsy and the larger amount of tissue obtainable compared to transferential biopsies. Various studies have generally shown a fairly high concordance rate between probiopsy and cervical lung biopsy and added value in the setting of MBV as shown in the recently multicenter Australian study, the COLD study. One crucial factor, however, with regard to probiopsy is the experience and confidence of the individual pathologies, and this may impact the diagnostic performance of probiopsy. Therefore, probiopsy uh, performing at expert centers may be used to provide histological finding for MBD diagnosis as an alternative to cervical lung biopsy if tissue with diagnostic histology uh, lesions are sampled in a patient suspected of having HP. Also, um, assessment of the HP pretest probability is, uh, is essential before we uh, consider proceeding with cervical lung biopsy or recommending biopsy. And again, Explicit clinical reasoning in the context of a consensus MBV is recommended to assess the appropriateness of any of these procedures as a next step uh, for the diagnostic process. For example, the guideline panel does not suggest performing a lung biopsy in patients with a high level of pre-biopsy diagnostic certainty. As discussed in depth in the guidelines, in the setting of non-fibrotic HP, the typical histologic feature of HP may also occur in the setting of other clinical entities such as an inf- uh, such as infections. Also, uh, fibrotic HP poses a more of a challenge as cases may show histologic features of UIP and SIP or a combination of the two, and the typical inflammatory features that I just mentioned may become less prominent, and also the differential diagnosis such as infection or a connective tissue disease or microaspiration are also in play. Therefore, it is crucial that when the pathology interpretation is indeterminate or suggests an alternative diagnosis different to the clinical context or the CT findings, re-review of the tissue specimen by a thoracic pathologist in consultation with an ILD team at an expert center is suggested. Lastly, I'd like to stress the following. In general, the biopsy findings are divided in this guide into non-fibrotic or fibrotic, with the latter being associated with an interstitial fibrosing pattern and war survival. In these ACCP guidelines, the histologic criteria are divided into four diagnostic categories, typical, compatible, um, and indeterminate for fibrotic and non-fibrotic HP and alternative diagnosis. It is important to emphasize that the typical, the compatible, and the indeterminate patterns are not discrete histologic entities, and uh, rather these categories are meant to serve as a practical guide for organizing a complex 
set of overlapping histologic patterns into an integrated diagnostic framework in order to help inform and facilitate the MBD discussion. What are the next steps for research and guideline development in hypersensitivity pneumonitis? I think future HIV studies should focus on implementing standardized and ideally validated environmental and occupational questionnaires. Also, it is exceedingly important to understand the impact of well-characterized anti-avoidance, not only in HIV, but also in all other ILDs. Along these lines, there is no question that non-occupational uh, you know, inspections, for example, for mold, bacteria, have several limitations. However, if we are to prove the cost effectiveness through early inciting anti-identification and provide meaningful exposure avoidance that could translate to cost-saving, cost uh, we need to see more studies looking into the sampling of the environment and analysis to detect evidence for a specific mold as an action to a systematic assessment in HP patient with an indeterminate or suspected exposure. If we are to move forward to understanding how the VL fluid cell differential influence the diagnostic process and the decision to proceed or not with VATS or curl biopsy in patients suspected of having HP, we need to properly conduct diagnostic studies to examine the additive and definitive performance of VL lymphocytosis thresholds in differentiating fibrotic HP from other forms of fibrotic ILD, especially fibrotic NSIP and IPF. I think these VL lymphocyte percent thresholds and their confidence intervals should be characterized in the context of the entire cell differential and as a function of exposure history likelihood and the CT pattern level of confidence. There are other several variables that can have an impact on the diagnostic uh, performance of VAL, uh, and that includes and is not limited to age, smoking, the C severity, uh, external fibrosis um, on CT, where the patient is on medical therapy. And this still remains a black box uh, for many studies that have evaluated the yield of VAL in patients with HP, and I hope that in the future these limitations are confronted head-on Similarly, despite a few aspects from Europe over the last few years, I am not aware of studies evaluating the, addit the additive discriminative diagnostic yield of transbronchial biopsies with or without BAL according to the exposure history likelihood and anti avoidance and the diagnostic CT categories that I mentioned, and this needs to be uh, clarified and declared further study. Also, prospective studies are needed to evaluate the clinical utility and validity of molecular markers using genomic approaches, including gene expression signatures from well-defined HP phenotypes that can help discriminate fibrotic HP from other fibrotic ILDs, and most importantly, how these biomarkers or signatures may help enhance the diagnostic accuracy of clinical variables such as the combined exposure and CT pattern level of confidence. Likewise, there is an unmet need for the discovery and validation of uh, disease activity biomarkers that can be used to identify patients at high risk for progression that could serve as targets for particular subphenotypes of HP, especially those with an unknown uh, inciting anti-exposure. Over the last few years, we have learned that 
IPF genes, including the rare telomere variants and the MIG-5B promoter variant, have been identified as risk variants in HP, especially in fibrotic cases. However, we also need to go beyond IPF genomic variants to understand HP. For example, epigenomics and transcriptomics approaches are closely related to the genome, and they have an excellent potential to be HP biomarkers or signatures because they can change over time. And this is an area that we are actively investigating. Lastly, at the root of these, uh, of, um, uh, at the root of these guidelines, you know, is the MDV. And um, MDV is not synonymous of data integration. Integration and reconciliation of ancillary clinical information are part of it. The MDV as a potential quality metric should be carefully dissected by future studies. And I would like to see studies assessing the extent to which fair accuracy in diagnostic and decision-making capacity by MBV is associated with changes in patient treatment. And also, I'd like to see the study of prognostic outcome measures among concordant and discordant MDV and pre-MDV HP cases. So as we finish up our discussion, can you please give our listeners a closing thought on what you've learned from this experience of developing these guidelines? What do you want them to take away from this discussion? Overall, I, I like the audience to remember that uh, we suggest the diagnostic approach of HP should be stepwise, patient-centered, and ideally based on a multidisciplinary evaluation. Again, in addition to understanding the clinical context, the host risk factors and disease behavior is important to emphasize a systematic approach to exposure characterization as outlined in these guidelines. With the help of an exposure questionnaire to help establish whether or not more occupational or environmental exposures are associated with a suspected case of HP, the likelihood of an incentivizing exposure, whether it is identifiable, indeterminate, or unidentified, must be integrated then and combined with the CT level of confidence to determine a high or low probability of HP and for stratifying the disease as fibrotic or non-fibrotic. Then at this stage, after excluding other causes, a confident diagnosis of HP can then be made in the appropriate clinical context when there is identifiable exposure and CT findings are typical of HP. Patients without a confident diagnosis but in whom HP is suspected have a provisional working diagnosis. And in this subgroup of patients, multidisciplinary data reconciliation is important and is vital. And we suggest the inclusion of an occupational medicine specialist to the MDV, especially in suspected occupational cases, when an indeterminate environmental exposure is suspected of contributing with a disease course. Also, serum-antigen-specific antibody testing as an adjunct to a patient-centered environmental and occupational survey may suggest an exposure, but this may not be the case if only one antigen from a full panel is positive or if you have a slightly elevated IgG levels above the threshold for just one antigen. Exposure assessment tools such as the serum antigen-specific antibody uh, testing and the antigen-specific inhalation challenge test and the lymphocyte proliferation test may indicate enough antigen exposure to generate an immunological reaction or, or uh, that, that, is, that equates to sensitization. However, it's important to remember that these tests are afflicted by a multitude of tests related 
uh, uh, limitations and should not be used as a diagnostic tool when the exposure is known. The guideline suggests that the response to therapy and antigen avoidance may help narrow the differential diagnosis and support a provisional diagnosis, mainly in patients with non-fibrotic HP. Also, the evidence from this guideline also suggests that BL fluid lymphocytosis may increase diagnostic confidence if the clinical context, exposure history, and CT findings are suggestive, but not definitive. Similar to CT confidence level, the guideline panel also uh, used categories reflecting the level of confidence that the histological specimen is likely to represent HP when examining lung biopsy samples from suspected cases. I think that taking together these guidelines provide a wealth of information that can be taken, I hope, as a point of reference for future studies and also delivers explicit recommendations for our colleagues and clinicians who are uncertain about how to proceed when faced with a suspected HP patient. I think it provides a flexible approach to the diagnosis, and if implemented uh, by our colleagues, I believe it can help improve consistency of care decrease unnecessary over-testing and biopsy, and help, I hope, hygiene and improve the quality of clinical decisions. Well, a big thank you to Dr. Fernandez for an interesting discussion, and a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Gretchen Winter, and this is a chess podcast. Until next time. <laughs>